When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Episode of the Birdshot Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. On this episode of the show, we're talking trap awareness and trap safety with Tate Abler and Rich Wong. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 250. All right, welcome to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast, everybody. Thank you for joining us. We've got a great conversation coming up with Rich and Tate talking primarily trap awareness, some of the things we may encounter while running our bird dogs. We'll chat with those guys in just a minute. I want to quickly thank Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast, those of you out there making voluntary contributions in support of the show to keep these conversations coming your way. Good news for patrons, I just got the new supply of Birdshot Podcast can coolers, a fresh batch of 20 gauge and 16 gauge can coolers so for all those new patrons who've been waiting for those be on the lookout hopefully get those out to you before christmas i'll just quickly say if you are considering becoming a patron you will be eligible for those can coolers and stickers you get some bonus content from time to time we do some patreon giveaways and you can learn more and sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot all right don't forget about the promo code we had for bird dog of the day you can use the promo code birdshot to save 15 percent through the end of the year that's on all the merch over at bird dog of the day you can use the promo code bsp20 to save 20 percent on your next onyx hunt subscription and if you're looking to perhaps work on your shotgunning this winter don't forget about our promo code birdshot15 that's birdshot15 from only perfect practice makes perfect that would be the wing shooting instructional video series from keith coyle look up our previous episodes with Keith Coyle to learn a little bit more about that, but we do have a discount code available for that as well. 
All right, there's a little discount code recap for you. I don't have much else to share on today's show. I almost didn't have a voice for this intro. Been battling another cold this week. Been kind of a bummer. But anyways, I'm feeling a bit better today. Can actually talk and record this intro. And with that in mind, I'm going to tee up this interview with Rich Wong, former guest of the show, and Tate Abler, a bird hunter and trapper from Wisconsin. You can follow him at his personal Instagram account and also Sustained Outdoors, which has some pretty cool trapping-related stuff in there that we will discuss a bit on today's show. As you'll hear in today's conversation, Rich and his bird dog had an encounter with a trap last fall, and that led to Rich and Tate getting connected. And Rich made the suggestion, based on his really positive interactions with Tate over the past year, that Tate would be a great person to come on and talk a little bit more about trap awareness and trap safety. And I was familiar with Tate. He and I met, I believe, at Pheasant Fest a few years back. And anyways, we all got together on this episode of the show. We learned a little bit about Tate and his background, how he got into trapping and bird dogs and all that sort of thing. Rich sets the stage a bit with his encounter with a trap last fall. And then we really leaned on Tate and his expertise and knowledge around trapping and trap safety to hopefully increase the awareness a little bit. If you're not very familiar with traps or trapping, hope you learned something on this episode. This kind of discussion could be a lot more in-depth, I imagine, and there's also some things in it that are not perfectly suited for an audio format, so I've tried to gather some links and share some resources in the show notes as well. If you have things to add to this conversation, encounters of your own, thoughts, this can be somewhat of a polarizing conversation topic depending on the forum and the people involved in it so i guess i'm mindful of that and we'll be curious to hear some of the feedback from this episode but if you got input constructive conversation around it i would welcome that as always nick at birdshotpodcast.com that's all i'll say on it for now let's just get right into it and welcome into the conversation and onto the birdshot podcast rich wong and tate abler Rich, when did you get when did you get back? I got back on Friday. I was supposed to get, I was supposed to get back on Wednesday, but things got really good, and I wanted to hang around. And the guys were pressuring me to stay, and so I asked for <laughs> awesome. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, you had better to ask for forgiveness than for permission. <laughs> Is that kind of the <laughs> mentality you got going? I had asked for permission, and then I asked for forgiveness. So yeah, uh, okay. She Boom. gave me. Yeah, she gave me her blessing. <laughs> but it, it is a little bit of when you're already in said location, which we don't need to disclose, when you're already in said location and you're asking for permission, it is, uh, it's a little precarious, but yep. nice you're job. basically asking for forgiveness at that point. <laughs> exactly. It's true. Already, it's true. You know what I mean? It's, since we're here, honey. <laughs> now, when you're making the sales pitch on that, Rich, because again, I think this is valuable to all of our listeners, we're just going to roll into it here. This is take two, guys. So I'll bring listeners up to speed, but do you get into because i know like how my wife would be do you start talking about like the good weather the good hunting conditions the bird numbers or do you have to sell it a different way <laughs> you just jump right into it i would i probably in most cases i probably would have would try to sweeten sweet talk a little bit this time to be honest we were out driving and leah called for something different and cody answered the phone and for some reason or not, rather, my, my phone connects to his truck before his phone can oh. connect to the Bluetooth. 
So she was on Bluetooth and I let her know and we were chatting and Cody was just like, hey, while I have you. Oh, the friend pressure. <laughs> yeah. And lucky enough. Yeah, it is. It could be an actual tech, but luckily enough, our families are, are good friends now. And it was uh, a little more natural than if she didn't know Cody, but it, was, it worked. That was my tech. Get your buddies to call their wife, call your wife. Yeah, but yeah. I think I feel like that's also a tactic that could also backfire. It sounds good and dandy <laughs> until you get home, yeah. and then your wife yeah. is right. Like, yeah, you couldn't yeah. just ask she, me yourself. Yeah, or she's like, you put me in a tough situation yep. there because that yes. says no. So. I was gonna say, I, if it was just me and you weren't on Bluetooth, I would have said no. But I was talking <laughs> to Cody and not Rich, so I had to say yes. And then you get home and you're up the proverbial creek without a paddle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it could have been bad, but it turned out good. I think we've all been, I think we've all been there. I don't know that there's a right or a wrong tactic. I think you just get to a point where they expect those phone calls. <laughs> if you fly up north, like for me, if I fly up north for a weekend, I'm bound to come back and have to work on Monday. You get one of those trips where you're, you're going to go up for a, a, a wonky trip. Let's say I'm going to fly up on Sunday and hunt till Tuesday and I'm going to come home Tuesday night. And then sometimes she'll get that phone call like mid Tuesday afternoon and I don't know for sure, but you'd have to ask her, but she's probably almost like expecting it, especially if you're moving birds or something like that. And it's just <laughs> great. It's, but I don't know if there's a right, right or a wrong tactic to that, but I think they can learn. I think they're expecting it. Maybe <laughs> this could be a whole episode. I oh, right. definitely right. could. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was actually talking to, uh, to Nick Adair about this recently. We were joking back and forth about some sort of negotiation tactics when it comes to a day like today when it's 32.7 degrees there's just a little spritz of snow out there i think we should all be grouse hunting guys but here we are <laughs> yeah we should align this doing... second take up like <laughs> to meet up and do it in person or walking through the woods and hunting and stuff we mm. should align that up instead yeah maybe maybe next year we'll figure that out and figure out how to get together yeah. in the grouse woods that would be excellent <laughs> We are recording this particular episode. Listeners will, will not hear the first take because it was essentially unusable. <laughs> Had some technical difficulties, but that happens from time to time. Usually pretty rare, but we're back for take two, and hopefully this will be even better than the first time around. Once again, Rich, we are, man, we could go on a tangent here. We won't, yeah, I promise, yeah. but we are recording again during another Wild Games. Please hold off on those score updates. And we jokingly said there was, like, nothing to talk about when we tried this a week ago, but, boy, the tables have turned a little bit, Rich. Sure, and <laughs> uh, co a couple coaching changes and uh, a couple wins in the column. Apparently the guys figured out that they it's okay to put the puck in the net now, and uh, they un unloaded on the Nashville Predators, Mister Adair's yeah. team, if he's listening to this. But uh, yeah, the things are looking up a little bit for the Minnesota Wild, and uh, maybe Rich and I will do a bonus segment if we uh, make a deep playoff run. We'll come back and do a wild episode. <laughs> uh, are you guys fun. watching the game while we tape this? I am not. I'm recording it because okay. I'm a nerd, and I yeah. will be watching. Well, it I just later. wanted to know if I should expect screaming in the background. At least I'll know what you guys are <laughs> screaming about. <laughs> I actually, I forgot that they played so early today, so I fired up my DirecTV app to set it to record, and I caught the score about midway through the first period, which was favorable. That Got was it. better than the reverse, and I am now radio silent. Most of my friends, my close friends that would text me about the Wild know that I am indeed a nerd, and I watch most of the games on tape delay, so... If you still call it tape delay, I don't, that might be old school, but yeah, that's my plan. TiVo. 
<laughs> right, Evo. right. Yep. I'm the same way. It's being recorded, and uh, my friends know not to text me. <laughs> that see, that makes me feel better, Rich. That honestly makes yeah. me feel better. <laughs> it's like a 24 hour rule. Where... Go ahead. Yeah, I I enjoy watching pre-tape. You don't have to watch commercials. And intermissions, yeah, it's a way more efficient way yeah. to to yeah. watch a hockey game for sure. I even you know, speed yeah. through the penalty kill. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that I had to enact a rule this year when the Wild were nose diving to start the season. If they were behind by, it was I can't remember if it was one or two goals. If they were behind by two goals or more, I was fast forwarding until it either became a tight game or it got out of control, <laughs> or the game yeah. was over. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I happened a lot. Those, <laughs> I have some of those same rules. If, uh, I usually will fast forward if we're not in possession. It would be five possession. I'll play. <laughs> oh, wow. That's got, a really a little bit. Yeah, it's then. a little more intricate than my yeah. system, actually. You could probably watch the <laughs> whole game in the like 14 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Which is you know, fine, it does, a little bit easier on the time frame for the day. Yes. Yeah. Again, efficiency. We all have too much content to consume. That does help. But yeah, it depends on with all the different streaming services now and stuff, like what platform you're watching on, like how certain things, like never have I paid so much attention to how do, how do apps or services fast forward? Can you see the scoreboard or is it like blank? And like when they're, the games are on ESPN plus, like you basically have to guess. I've gotten pretty good at knowing, oh, this is a 90 second TV timeout. The intermission is like 17 minutes. You got to figure yeah. all that out. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's incredible. T- Tate's just jaw dropped. <laughs> uh, that was, yeah, that, that's a whole nother level right there. Yeah. Before we lose most of the listening audience, we're, <laughs> let's, let's circle back to Rich. Give us a pheasant update. You were just, you just were out pheasant hunting. And again, feel free to, to not disclose the location. Tate and I know where you were hunting, but what, what was it like? You guys had pretty good conditions, I think. Yeah, conditions were really good. It was a little cold the first couple of days, but they warmed up to about 30. And then we had a couple of days, a few more days that were in the 40. Towards, yeah, weather was really good. First couple of days, we actually found the birds to be a little challenging. I was seeing the kind of the same results as I've, I've had up here in Minnesota where birds really running and getting up in front of you. That was disheartening for the first couple of days, but we found some good sitting birds and even found some bobwhite quail. So it was a good nice. awesome Oh yeah. That, that, dude, that one day, what did you found a deadhead? You had pheasants, you had bobwhite quail. It just was like, you had everything going. That's a mixed yeah, day. We had, yeah. It was the fun. We actually targeted the bobwhite. So it was fun. We found one cubby and got a few out of there. So good day. That's Cody, awesome. Cody, my buddy, he found deadhead and it was, it was a big boy. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Actually had a, had a, had a tine coming out of it. Eye socket. You guys ever seen anything like that? Whoa. Like it like, took that from another animal? No, it, it like grew. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've seen so, some gnarly stuff on the internet, but not in person. Yeah. It was, wow, yeah. I'll have cool. to go back and I want to look at, was it, yeah, did I, don't I think, see that in the picture? Uh, I'll send you guys a, a picture. No, I'll send Here it. it you can put it in the. In the oh notes. yeah, yeah. I see it. I see it now. Yeah, yeah. That is interesting. That's definitely a. I didn't look that pretty significant. Ta- I, I mean, I looked at the text, there. but I didn't look. Weird. Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah, that wow. looks like a. I mean, that thing looks like it could have died of old age. Like it's just like a big, heavy, old. Yeah, really wide. Awesome. Have you have you hunted 
Bob White Quill before, Rich? I did. I did last year. Uh, okay. And uh, pretty much the same result. Ran into yeah. well, I actually ran into two cups. Okay. Yeah, it's fun. It's uh, it's similar but different to to hunt. To Hans. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm assuming you're primarily shooting the uh, the RFM 16 gauge. Oh yeah, pretty much. What you, pretty much exclusively. Yeah. What do you like for a pheasant load out of that? I've been shooting Federal Upland five shot. Oh yeah, those, those copper plated ones. Yeah, I think it's one and okay. an eighth ounce. Okay. And they seem to pattern really well with the gun. I didn't miss too many. Good did you have you. to rechoke? Did you have to rechoke when you got into Bob White's, or did you just shoot what you had going? I didn't rechoke, but I switched to seven because we were hunting. I there were pheasants. You knew around, you were but, targeting them. Yeah, so I switched yeah. to seven and a half. And they were, oh. did you? So the, when you guys found, did you find the first ones on accident? When were you pheasant hunting and then bumped into some Bob Whites and then switched gears, or were you? Did you no, decide that you were gonna? We were in a we were on a, a private piece where we knew there was puppies. So okay. just swapped out right away. I brought fives just in case because there was supposed to be some draws that had more pheasants, but we were there for them, so I was ready. That's good because that could honestly be a disaster if you're shooting the wrong size shot and yeah. oh, from a sure. covey, and then you're maybe choked a little bit wrong, choked a little bit tighter for pheasants or something like that, and then get into some closer bob white and you're shooting fours or fives instead of seven and a halfs with a <laughs> yeah that could be a disaster yeah yep what the heck? i totally lost my train of thought oh you you do have interchangeable chokes in your 16 gauge don't you rich i do yeah okay all right yeah i was just curious and you're right. mainly fixed choke right now, right? Pretty much. But I, again, as the listeners know, I pretty much spend like 99% of my time in the grouse and woodcock woods so that yeah. I'm pretty well suited with fixed chokes. And I've got, I have more than one gun too. So I really do like the fixed chokes. If you have uh, multiple guns or you just have, if you're designing a specialty tool, but I I'm, I have an idea in my mind probably to build a 20 gauge. And in that one, I am planning to put interchangeable chokes in it because i just want that one gun that has that ultimate versatility yeah your prairie gun yeah <clears throat> yeah so cool rich has been on the show before tate you're a new guest to the show so why don't we we'll do this a few minutes in but just give us a basic intro where you are where you're located and how you got into what keeps you busy in the fall this time of year i'm sure it's the same with you guys as it is with me fall is crazy time of the year it's i don't know why I know why, but it just seems every single thing you could possibly want to do falls <laughs> now. But I'm in southeast Wisconsin, born and raised, been here my whole life. I spend the majority of my f- free time chasing bird dogs in some manner, training. I fell in love with northern Wisconsin and the grouse woods as a young boy with my father. And we used to hunt with labs. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe 19 years old, I got my first pointer which was new to the family and new to all of our hunting buddies and i that and then so then i fell in love with that separately so pointing dogs i fell in love with them separately i love them on gross obviously but it's i just pointing dogs in general i just absolutely love them so that takes up the vast majority of my time i spend as much time as i can um 
trapping, which kind of makes me an anomaly because upland guys aren't generally trappers as well. And I do deer hunt as well, but not. Yep. I'm more of a self-proclaimed freezer freezer filler kind of guy. Okay. I don't. I'm not a horn hunter. And if you've ever hunted whitetail deer or any animal, you obviously would love to shoot the, the exactly. monster. But I'm more of a backstrap guy. I like my meat. I, if I, I joke around with my wife constantly saying that if I could fill the freezer with grouse and woodcock, I would probably never hunt deer, but that as well as I do, you'd have to, to shoot. Yeah. yeah, not possible. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that's why that's the, and realistically speaking, I've changed my, my whitetail hunting to, I'll, I basically start when the rifle season starts and then I'll do a lot of muzzleloader season hunt or a lot of muzzleloader hunting and then late season bull hunting. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't really eat into my upland time quite as much. It, it extends my season. So that's nice. It makes my hunting season, my falls a lot longer, but yeah, so that keeps me busy in the fall. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm, I'm in a similar spot. Like I'm trying to transition into being an efficient freezing freezer filler with my deer hunting. Cause I, I grew up doing it and I, for a long time, I shouldn't say I grew up doing, it. I had to find my way in deer hunting. It wasn't something my family did. So I, my parents facilitated a number of sort of deer hunts for me early on with some mentors and I eventually found a deer camp with a good friend of mine that he's been a buddy of mine since kindergarten and hunted up there. And, but lately it's just, I'm head over heels with the bird hunting and obviously I'm happy doing that, but I would like to get into back into a, a spot where I can get an antlerless deer or something. And I've been looking into that, but as you said, Tate, it's just, it's this time of year, like man, every day you could be doing something different and it's hard to, hard to get it all done, but. The hardest yeah, part nope. for me in the fall is if I'm sitting in the bow stand, I, all I do is sit about sit around thinking about my poor bird dog sitting at home with, I should be running those. So it's just, I don't know, it seems almost a disservice to them to let them sit at home when I could be running them. And you work all year to get them into fighting shape. And then here you are sitting in a bow stand and, you know, exactly. teach their own. People, some people love that stuff. That's not, right. that's, you know, two of my, two of my good friends, the the guys that are, run sustained with me sustained outdoors they're yep. huge whitetail hunters and to, that's great for them but just for me it's not that it, it's just not my thing yeah yep no and that's i imagine a lot of people listening to a podcast like this are in the same boat it's hard to leave the dogs at home so you can go sit in the deer stand that kind of thing and it's like anything else if you're going to do it that way i always say if i wasn't into grouse hunting and bird dogs i probably you know, I wouldn't be surprised if I was a pretty serious archery hunter or something, just looking for that opportunity. I'd be probably as into it as I am this, but you've only got so much time and resources. And when you've got the bird dogs, if it's a, right. if it's a good day for, if it's a good day for bow hunting, it's probably a good day for grouse hunting too. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk tra- trapping. Actually, I, I, I wanted to ask you when you and your dad got into grouse hunting, was that like, were you guys going up north and grouse hunting? Did you have a cabin up there or was it just like something you guys did together? Like how did that kind of come to be? Is that just something your dad did for a long time and bringing you? Yeah, it wasn't, it really wasn't necessarily generational. My dad was a grouse hunter before I was born. Okay. But not much. Not, he didn't, my dad didn't grow up. He didn't come from a hunting family. He's actually the only one of his family that hunts. So he was, which I'm very thankful for. He was the opening chapter to this. He didn't hunt a lot of stuff. He was a, a rifle hunter. He loved hunting up north for whitetails and grouse. And, and he liked hunting. We, in Wisconsin, we no longer really have resident pheasants. They're pretty much all primarily planted mm-hmm. 
few will argue that there are some resident birds, some actual natives, but I don't know. I find it very hard to believe at this point. But so he hunted back when you could still do that. I remember being like, I'm going to probably screw this number up, but I want to say six or seven years old and following behind him in the grouse woods. Yeah. And I just remember the only thing I can really remember is I remember walking through the woods and, but I can also remember that like when the birds would flush, I remember just like this small adrenaline rush. I could never even <laughs> see the birds. I just like us and you just hear that the wing beats and they take off and it was just a couple of shots would go off. And I just always remember being like, I'm never going to be able to, to kill a bird. They're so fast. I don't even know if I've ever even seen a grouse. As I grew older and started to be able to carry a shotgun, I, I, I still questioned whether or not everybody was just shooting at sounds because... It just didn't seem like I was ever positioned properly. But as I grew older, it just, it came, you learned a lot. And I'm thankful because I learned a lot of, I learned a lot. My chat, my tactics are completely different than his, but I learned a lot of like spots from him and that kind of opened the door to that. I still hunt a couple of spots that he hunted when he showed me when I was like 12 and we would go up there. I I still hunt a few of those spots. So it's a, it it was a, it's cool. It's a. I hope that my children also follow my footsteps and follow down that path as well. Cause I don't think there's a lot of people that are really, especially young people that are, that are really chasing rough grouse anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly don't really have a real accurate picture of what that looks like as far as like new people getting into it. Obviously I've started to take my older boy out. My younger one is he's not quite there yet, but we're getting the exposure. How old are your kids, Tate? So they're all across the board. I've got a 16-year-old daughter, and she's doing the high school thing, so there's not a lot of interest in hunting anymore. She likes to walk along. She's not really big on killing or injuring animals, which is great, which is fine. I understand it. And then I have a a three-year-old, and I have a a one-and-a-half-year-old. So I'm all across the board. So the the youngest ones walk along with me and my wife when we go. Obviously, I don't know. They're enjoying it, but I don't know that they... They don't obviously grasp what's going on yet, but right, they will. Right. Exposure is everything. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I, man, thinking back, like I, the first time I took my son out, he was three, which sounds <laughs> crazy to me at this point. But he was walking, and and we it was a really nice early season day, and we just went for a walk, and we ended up getting a bird that day. I remember I was like I. You had to learn like the expectations change and all that stuff. And I was oh, yeah. definitely not perfect out of the gate. I've gotten a lot better about it now. In fact, my son and I, uh, he's now five, five and a half. We went out yesterday um, for an hour and I've come to really appreciate like I, we just walk along and I tend to, ideally I run my older dog Hartley because he does not range as big as my younger setter and it's a little bit easier to sort of if the dog does go on point to everybody navigate through the woods yesterday we ran rose just based on some circumstances and i was resting hartley he actually had a some kind of a stomach issue over the weekend that he was not in good shape yeah he was not in good shape for 24 to 48 hours but friday night he pulled out of it thankfully I i really don't know what happened but i have had that occur to him I'd say three times over the course of his life. I I, I suspect he ate something and just, uh, and yeah, that's like a separate thing, but I I would be curious if uh, listeners had any, what they do. I just monitor him and I didn't, we didn't bring him into the vet or anything, but anyways, he's better now, but we ran Rose yesterday and it was tough because she was in birds. 
we hunted a spot where there actually was like a full coverage inch of snow and man we i saw a lot of grouse tracks yesterday it was unbelievable for how long that snow has been there it's a little ground that we did cover in an hour but rose was she was pointing and she was following these birds and they were running and we were following the tracks but to move fast enough to get up there and get on the bird we just we couldn't make it happen yesterday but long story short we had a very enjoyable day in the woods because we have no expectations and we're just out there cutting the dog race and having a good time it you do have to be selective about which dogs you put on the ground when your kids are along because we were out, I think, opening weekend at Gross in Wisconsin this year. And I was with, the, it was me and my two youngest and my wife. So she had Bridger, who's my son, the youngest, in the backpack. And Etta was walking along, and my electronics went off and said that Ruby, my short hair, was on point. And when you got kids, it's like, you, you get there when you can get there, which is yes. when you're when they're in tow, you're not going to just ditch the kids and run through the woods and you, they have to go with you. So yeah. it changes everything. It completely changes the hunt and you can't have the same expectations that you have. But I, I honestly, I almost prefer that because it slows everything down so much. If I go up for a like day trip to hunt grouse by myself on a Saturday, like I'll, it's almost like you don't enjoy the day because you're pushing so hard to hunt as much as you possibly can to make it worthwhile. I think, Nick, you can pretty much walk out your back door and hunt grouse for the most part, right? I got to drive a little. I live in town in Duluth, so I got to go a little ways. I can be hunting in, if I wanted to, 15 minutes. Oh, yeah. See, I don't know. I'd have to probably drive minimum of two hours to to get into grouse, two and a half. So, you know, so you get up there and you push it so hard and then you run home and you're like, you're on your way home and you just think, I don't know that it was even worth it because you, you just, you're running so hard. It was obviously worth it, but right, it, right. it's always worth it to push grouse, but it's, it was, it's, it changes things when you got your kids along. And I like it. I like them, those nice slower days and generally you're taking them along when it's gorgeous outside. So it's, that adds to it. So it is, yeah. it's, it's fun. It's a good check and balance. I totally understand what like, and relate to that sort of hunt drive when you're out solo and the things that are going through your head are, they need to be way different than the times that you have your young kids out. And again, there's a little bit of a transition period. I'm better today. And that first year when he was real young, we only went one time. Last year, we went once or twice. This year, with him being more mobile and he's riding the bike and stuff, we've actually got out probably six, seven times. And it's been awesome. I just, I, as you're pointing out, I really appreciate that sort of check and balance of, okay, a solo hunt day is this. But then when I got the little guy out, it's just a totally different mentality and as enjoyable, if not more enjoyable. It's just, it's, there's room for yeah. both of them. Yeah. And then you think I, uh, it's, enjoy- it's much more enjoyable. It's, you think you enjoy it. Just imagine how much your son right. enjoys it. And that's, that really has to be the priority is the kid having fun. Yep. And that's where it all stems from. Rich, Rich, what do you got? Yeah. I was going to say, I've been hunting with my 10 year old this year. Okay. And last year, oh, several. Uh, I had to check myself. I, <laughs> I was recording earlier in the season. I was recording on GoPro. And just like reviewing footage of when I was hunting with done. And man, just the way that I was talking to him and communicating with him was not conducive to encouraging him. Yeah. That was like, just like what you guys are saying, like, you know, even for us, it takes time to get to the bird. I was trying to get him to pick up the speed or be in the right place. Watching that footage i was embarrassed because i was like my i think my expectations were 
not necessarily too high, but it didn't, I didn't sound like the person that I thought I would be, you know what I mean? Um, Yep. And and just looking at the cover, like I'm watching like my 10 year old boy, like walk through the thickest stuff that anyone would have to walk through to to hunt these birds. And I'm just like, you know, it might be trailing behind me 50 feet. And I was just like, come on, get up here. And it's like, he can't see. Physically, he probably, if you really put his mind to it, physically, he could. But that having that mental fortitude at 10 is yeah. not, I shouldn't be expecting that. So yeah. It, it was a eye-opener for what me I, this year. I'm sure it came from a good place, though. You're yeah. probably trying to get him up in the into the action. It's not, you're not, yep. it wasn't out of greed or it wasn't for selfish reasons. So don't. Yeah. But it's great to self-reflect on that. And yeah. I'd be lying if I told you that the first handful of times that I hunted, even with my oldest daughter, with my wife along, she's corrected me and let sure. me know that it's not about how many, in situations like that, it's about time spent with family and yep. making good memories and getting the youngsters into uh, into the sport as it is yep. about putting, it's more about that than it is about putting birds in the game bags. Good for you for being able to self-reflect and, well, go, go pro reflect. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Go- yep. I was embarrassed. I was like watching it. I was watching footage on another hunt with somebody. That that's not fair. So you guys talked about kind of the stages. Nick, you're he's five. Your son's a five. Yep. And he first came out. He was three, and we had that same progression. And he's ten. That he's getting older, but you still have to you still have to work through those. Yeah. No, I think that's a really, again, for anybody that has kids or is thinking about it, or it's it's good to bring it up because it's, again, you set out like with the right idea in my hand, I'm going to take my kid hunting, but then you cut a dog loose and you've got stimul. you know, parents will know this, like you get overstimulated, you get impatient and just like things happen that you're not deciding to be that way. But then all of a sudden you catch yourself and you're like, geez, I'm really, I need to cut this kid some slack. And I, I've had the same thing happen to me, Rich, in reviewing GoPro footage so with my son out, but also just by myself too. Like sometimes I hear my own self talking. It's like, dude, like, what? are you having fun? Or, you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, right. Take it, yeah. just relax yeah. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. chill out, man. It's just, a, it, 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 but that's how we're wired. Yes. We're, yeah. you're, you're also, like me for me, it's like, I feel like I'm doing the dogs a disservice then. And yeah. they, they also earned, so my kids earned a good time, but my dogs earned a good time. So it's like, you struggle with, you're juggling these different thoughts in your head and it's, we're also wired to, you want to kill birds. So it, it's just, it's a handful. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I totally agree. And I, I yeah, I think self-reflection, you, as Tate put it, that's, again, that's a healthy thing. And we all have those realizations, I'm sure. Yeah. Let's talk trapping a bit. And before we, we'll pull Rich in to set the stage a little bit, but I do want to, like, how did you get into trapping, Tate? Because we heard a little bit about your background. Where did trapping enter the picture? And I know that's a big passion of yours now. Oh, yeah, it is. So that's a weird one. So that has nothing to do with family, but nothing with family. So in 2000 and I want to say 11, they had a wolf season in northern Wisconsin, and we were up there rifle hunting, and one of the guys in camp had a tag. And so I just, after, I think he was checking his traps, like after after we were done, you'd climb down from the stand, go back to the cabin and whatnot. So I, I that's what I, he wanted to go check his traps. And honestly... I don't know that I even knew what trapping was at that point. Like I just never even crossed my mind. So we checked a bunch of traps and he was successful. He caught a raccoon. He didn't catch a wolf, but he did catch a raccoon. And 
just something about it was almost like primal ancestral like I, I just had this weird draw to it so i think that was in 2011 and then i'm pretty sure in 2012 so it's either 2010 and 2011 or, or 11 and 12 they had a, a wolf season again and my friend i don't know how he's the luckiest man alive he drew another tag was not successful in trapping a wolf that time but this time i was part of being able to watch him set traps and be part of that and it just resonated with me like where i was like man this is really it's interesting it's different i've always been like a challenge guy like i like the sometimes i like the work of something more than the finished product sure Um, there's a lot of work that goes into it anybody can shoot a deer at 300 yards but like how hard is it to get a coyote to step on a two-inch circle you know what i mean so it's it's just something about it resonates so i it has nothing to do with family but it was my dad was along and he was he didn't get it and what he didn't, didn't really care for it that much but so then I think in 2013, I took a Trapper's Ed class. It's okay. just been a downward spiral since then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's well, I We won't we talked a little bit about this when we did this the first time, but I have a very minimal experience. I think one or two seasons I did Fisher and Martin trapping here in Minnesota. And it was the same thing. Like my buddy's father-in-law was doing it. And so he mentored us into it. We just wanted to see what it was all about. And he was doing it up north where we would deer hunt the same deer camp that i mentioned earlier and then we uh, we just wanted to try it around here so we we uh, we did it for a like i said a season or two and it was again it was a time i didn't have kids at the time so it was like i had a little less going on it was just a cool like the we set the traps and every night for a week our season was only like a week long but right. we're cruising up in, into our our grouse cover areas and checking try and get the headlamps it was just fun it was cool i'm glad glad i tried it but i have not I've not continued to do it mainly due to time, and I, I don't know. I don't have a I don't have a strong urge to go out and do it, but I guess I just bring that up. Like I have some experience with it, and more importantly, I have a little bit of hands-on experience with some of the traps that we're going to talk about as well. Do you think it's something you'll ever get back into? You said you don't have a draw to it, but is there was nothing there was nothing about it that like really turned me off to it or anything. So I would strictly say it's just a it's a time and resources thing at this point. But like it will come as no surprise. Like I'm driven to outdoor pursuits, and so if there came a time where I had like additional time availability and was looking to expand my opportunities in being out in the woods, and you know, that's, that's where I want to be if I got time available. I could see myself maybe going back to it, but like anything else, and maybe trapping more so than some other. Like it's a, it takes some serious dedication to to do that kind oh, of stuff. Yeah. And like you said, the challenge. Maybe there's certainly a bit of embracing the suck involved with grouse hunting, and I, it doesn't shock me that you're you also have a love for trapping in some of those same ways. Yeah, it's it. They overlap in more ways than anybody would ever really choose to. It's weird to be a trapper and an upland hunter because I think we get a lot of flack from upland hunters because nobody wants their dog caught. Right. But it's there. It, we're more alike than we're hunt. We're trapping the same cover, the same areas. The it, so it's it's interesting how and a lot of things overlap. But we're general woodsmanship, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. Yep. And the time commitment of someone who has bird dogs, it's a lot. You know, what I mean, like. We were texting back and forth before we did this, and you were talking about how you had to take your dogs for a rip. Yeah. So deer hunters, if they don't want to 
if they don't want to do anything, if they wake up on a Sunday morning and they don't want to go deer hunting, they can just sleep in. Whereas right. eventually you're going to have to get your bird dogs on the ground and I have to check my traps. So even yeah. if I got sick, I still have to check my traps. So it's, it's, they, they align more than people would like to admit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Nick, I, and, and I could, I'll go ahead, Rich. Uh, I was just going to say, I could see you incorporating your skiing uh, with trip. Skiing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. Yep. Yep. Check your yeah, fishing line on cross country skis. Right. Yep. That, I could do that. I got, I, I was never a big snowshoe guy, honestly, but I, and that has mainly to do with, we have lots of trails around here that I walk all winter, but most of the time they're packed down because there's so much foot traffic that you don't really need snowshoes. But lately I've got into making my own snowshoe trails and just messing around with that. And so again, yeah, look, the, there was a book that I read when I was getting, when I was trapping that year, trying to do some research and learn a little bit about it. There's a book called Trapping the Boundary Waters. And it's very specific to Northeast Minnesota and just neat. It's like any of the grouse books we would mention where it's, it's not a strictly a how-to book. It's more like an adventure kind of story. And that, I remember just loving that book, Trapping the Boundary Waters. I'll try to throw a link to that in the show notes. But yeah, there's yeah, certainly things that would, and I like active winter activities. I don't hate ice fishing, but I really don't spend a lot. Of, I, I just don't want to sit and freeze on a bucket trying to catch fit. I love to fish. Don't get me wrong. But when it's winter and it's cold, I would prefer to be hiking or active or because I love being yeah. outside, especially being outside on a clear winter night. Man, there's that's really enjoyable. So then you like any hunting, you have this pursuit to drive you and to like we're all driven towards that sort of stuff, I feel like. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit UplandGunCompany.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's just dive in here. We're, we're going to talk trapping. And the reason that the three of us got together is because of Rich and Tate connected last year based on Rich having an encounter with a trap and his dog. So I'll, Rich, I'll let you jump in here and just set the stage on how you and Tate got talking to each other and 
here we are talking about it a year later. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, so about a year ago, had to have been about mid or mid October, I was out, got invited to go grouse hunting with a neighbor up at the cabin. So this okay. was northwestern Wisconsin, and uh, we're hunting an area that was two different cuts uh, connected by a trail, old logging road, and uh, we had finished the first cut and we're traveling to the next cut those logging that logging road was a corridor that had a mix of conifer and a lot of scrub oak and then we came to an intersection which i couldn't see yet but we were probably i don't know 100 150 yards off and i heard i heard trigger yelping screaming pretty loud and my head went straight to port so yeah i Ran over there to see what was going on. It seemed like he was like trying to mouth at something. And sure enough, he was stuck in a trap and wasn't happy about it. And luckily for, for me and my buddy, it was pretty calm. And he had an idea of how to get Trigger out of the trap. Uh, I held him. He opened the trap. And un- unbeknownst to me, like his foot was fine at my... You're right. my, my head always goes to the worst possible scenario. So in my mind, I'm like, it's cracked. They must be designed to, to hurt these animals. I thought his leg would probably be broken. His butt was completely fine. There wasn't a scratch on it. He unfortunately did try to bite at the trap. So he chipped a couple of teeth. But other than that, he was no worse to the wear. So yeah, I was angry and a little bit worried. And I posted on my Instagram story about the scenario and heard from quite a few people and Tate was one of those guys and he definitely talked me off a ledge and we had a good <laughs> we had a good conversation about about trapping and a good conversation about how that trap was designed some of the laws we talked about why it was probably there uh all sorts it was nice to hear from him get a little more more background on uh what yeah now I I don't recall that like Instagram post or anything, but were you lamenting that the trap was there kind of thing? Uh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I was, I think oh. for me after kind of cooling down and right. realizing like there wasn't really anything wrong with the dog, I got to a point where I was okay with it, but I was questioning like, why, why is it in between two asking? Yeah. Person has to know. And maybe they don't. Maybe. Maybe they have no idea. Maybe there's going to be dogs moving from this cut to this cut. That, so that's where my head's been. Yeah, and I, but yeah. I don't think you were, if I remember correctly, you weren't like, it's not like you were upset and cussing out trappers and stuff. It was no. curious. Yeah. Yeah, you were like curious, curious about what, yeah, can yep. I, I think it was like along the lines of, like, can anybody tell me why, something along that line. So gotcha. I think that's yep. why. Had you been cussing out trappers, I probably would have just left you, left you <laughs> a little bit. But you were you were inquisitive and and actually seemed to be wondering. So it's like, instead of dumping gas on the fire, I tried to to snuff it out a little bit. Yep. Yeah. No, and you did a good job of that. Which that's again, that's cool. It goes back to this thing. Like we all have a lot more in common than we have different. No matter what kind of user group you are, what kind of hunting you're doing, that sort of thing. So it's man reaching out in that scenario just offering up that information and that edge that's that's how we move forward i feel like and that's 
that's really why we wanted to jump on the podcast today and just talk about some of those things. And I, yeah, I've never had a, I've never had a trap encounter with my dogs. I've certainly heard of it happening. A couple of friends of mine, they actually, this was, I, I might have the details a little fuzzy, but they were hunting in, I think it was October, maybe early November. They were hunting and in 10 minutes, they had two dogs get caught in coyote traps and they ended up or foothold traps along trails. And they ended up talking to the guys trapping there and they had said something like they had just put out like 50 traps oh, along boy. this thing. Yeah. And, and I was curious as to, again, having very limited understanding of trap lines and trap setting. Is that, is that, does that sound weird to you, Tate? Or, and again, this is not like a who's right or wrong thing. It's just, that was like, they turned around and left because they're like, we're not going to grouse hunt here. Yeah. So I'm that, definitely, is it, it, this is such a layered question, but from a, Let's not do anything. I'm not going to talk about like ethics. I'm just going to talk like because what what they did as a trapper was they probably keyed in on trails that were if it's a long running trail. Yes, they can legally set traps there, but part in my opinion, and any good trapper that I know would agree with this. Like also part of being a trapper is knowing when not to set traps. There's I could ramble off multiple locations that i would just love to set but i never will because i know that there's bird dogs that are going to cross paths with those traps and the last thing i want to do is come into contact with somebody's bird dogs i trap where i grouse hunt up north a lot and there's lots of places that i just refuse to set traps because i don't want to connect with somebody's bird dog so i think that's i think most trappers are probably thinking that way if you're just going to go through like a an aspen cut and litter it with coyote traps, I don't think at that point they're probably not thinking much about anybody but themselves. So it's right. we. You said it before. We kind of work together here all the way across the board. We're all here for the same reasons. We're all here to gather game and shared space, conser- multi-use. Yeah, and conservation is key. I would like to take a second and stress to. I would say there's probably not a lot of trappers that are listening to this. Or probably majority of them are all bird hunters. We're, trappers are not the enemy. Apparently, some people are making bad calls, and sometimes stuff just happens. You know, these traps, it's called a foothold trap. If you're not going to get stuck in a trap that's got teeth that's going to cut your dog's leg off, and it's not going to hurt you. It's, it, what's going to hurt the dog is when you panic and run up and try to get the trap off and twist the dog's leg and all that other stuff. If the dog is just in there, he's going to be fine. And I'm sure I'm going to get bombarded with DMs that say this happened and that happened. But right. the way traps are designed, they're designed to be re- be able to take it off the, the animal's foot and the animal should be able to walk away just fine, no worse than the wares. Um, I just wish that we wouldn't be thrown under the bus. And like I said before, I'm the anomaly, so I'm on both sides of it. I've actually had people say, like, how can having bird dogs, how can you trap? It probably makes me trap a little differently than a lot of people. Like, I I specifically will not put a trap anywhere where it looks like there's going to be the possibility of a bird dog. But it's we're we're definitely not the enemy. We're, We're here for the same reasons. We're all here to gather game. We just have to figure out a way to coexist. Yeah. Yeah, and I so I do want to talk about the traps that, bird hunters might encounter and but first i just want to like we obviously can't get into like the seasons and regulations in every state that kind of thing so most of our conversation is going to be um very specific to wisconsin where tate has knowledge of trapping and bird hunting 
But I know like in Minnesota, again, I mentioned that Fisher and Martin trapping, that was a late November thing. And I actually think, I could be wrong on this, but I think the trappers, the Minnesota trappers rallied and were at least trying to and possibly did move the season later into December really to minimize conflicts, to reduce conflicts and that sort of thing. Now, again, I could be way off, so I'll just I'll leave it at that. But what what sorts of trapping might be going on and things that we might encounter like during the October, November, sort of the heart of grouse season? Like what seasons are open and what are people trapping out there? So October, usually the Saturday closest to October 15th in Wisconsin is when you can bank on the trapping season opening. And then there's, so that's land trapping. So land trapping being like raccoons, coyotes, fox, possum, skunks, bobcat, all that stuff. Right? And then, yep, bobcat. And we could dig into this so deeply. Then a week later, water trapping opens, but only some water trapping. You have to wait till the first weekend in November to trap otter. So it's, there are season dates and stuff like that. But as a bird right. hunter, the traps that, in Wisconsin that you're allowed to set on land are going to be traps that your dog is not going to die from. So Wisconsin doesn't allow anything bigger than a 160 condor bear trap, which unless your dog, and when people are setting those on dry land, they're like on the ground. And I don't know anybody, if you were hunting with a wiener dog, you probably could be in trouble. As far as like a bird dog, they're going to knock it over. It might get a foot stuck in it, but with minimal effort, you can get that off. Foothold traps are designed not to hurt anything. As far as water trapping goes, I would think you're probably not going to run into... They'd have to be in the water. So maybe duck hunters would have that issue, but highly unlikely. So you probably would run into... like your The biggest concern, I think, is going to be a coyote trap. But which I don't which think would it's, primarily be a foothold trap, right? Correct. Yep. You know that you in Wisconsin you can also run cable restraints, which is okay. I don't want to say snare because it's going to send everybody right. into a tizzy. Well, let's let's make that distinction. Let's make that clear. Okay. So it, a, a snare is a kill trap. Snare is a, a cable with a lock on it that when an animal walks through it, it goes around their neck and then it eventually pulls it so tight and it locks itself and they it cuts off the blood flow to the carotid artery and they die within seconds. Like 15, usually takes a coyote when choked 20 seconds or so to be incapacitated. So we can't run those in Wisconsin. They're illegal. You have to run a cable restraint, which is a relax. Same thing as a snare, but it is a relaxing, it has a relaxing lock on it. So when the dog, it's like a, it's like a choke collar on the end of your leash. Like when a coyote stops pulling, it stops, it relaxes. There's no more, they, they won't die. So you don't really have to worry about that in Wisconsin. Now, same with every sport, there's a few bad eggs and they might be right. running a snare. I, but I'd be very hard-pressed to believe that you'd run into a snare in Wisconsin. That's the distinction there. So you'd have your foothold traps and you have your cable restraints. Those are the two things to worry about. If your dog was to get into a, a, a foothold trap, the main thing I would say is to just don't panic kneel down next to your dog and get your arm around the dog's chest get the dog calm and if you have a buddy have the buddy take the trap off of the foot if you're by yourself once you get your dog around the neck you can you can then release the trap yourself it's really not hard to do it might be a little might be a little tough because 
They're, uh, this, the springs are pretty tough, but you should be able to do it by yourself. If you have a buddy, all the better. You'll be able to control the dog and get it off. The cable restraint, all you have to do is get in there and just work that. There's going to be an intersection where the loop meets back to itself. That's going to be where the cam or the relaxing lock is. All you have to do is get your finger in there and you can slide it back and back it off of its neck. Once you're done messing with the trap to get it off your dog, you are bound by the law to leave it lay there. You're, you no longer can. Trap tampering is a very big deal. Yeah. Like you, That's a law you don't want to break. But yeah, I mean, that realistically, that's the two things that you really have to worry about as far as... The, I think that's what the bird hunters are most concerned about is the coyote traps. I don't think they're necessarily concerned about fisher trapping. It's done with like a, a 160. There are a few laws where you can use 220s, but they have to be like five feet off the ground. You generally don't have to worry about your bird dog flying. So right. you know, that's not an issue. It's necessary. It's necessary. Trapping is necessary. I think it's also necessary to understand that we're not out there. There's not, I don't know a single trapper that wants to catch your dog. So if we can, if everybody can cut some people, some slack, I think we can coexist quite well. Let's talk about the, as you said, conover, AKA body gripper trap, because that is another one that I know a friend that had his dog get caught in it. And I don't recall specifically if it was a legal set or not. I know it was later season in Minnesota, but that is a, it's a lethal, it's it's intended to be a lethal trap, correct? It is. Yep. Yep. And I do know that, that had he not got his dog out of this trap in a hurry, it would not have ended well. So that is a concern for folks as well. And again, going back to what you said, Tate, even if, we have to, the whole point of this is like awareness for folks listening, because even if you do, there is a chance you run into an illegal trap set. And the last thing we want is somebody to run into a body grip or conibear bear trap and have literally no idea what to do with it if they still have a chance to get their dog out, right? So why don't you tell us a little bit about those traps in particular? A body grip trap is actually a complicated trap to describe, but yes. a very, yeah. a very easy, it's a, it's honestly a brilliant trap as far as uh, function goes. It does what it's designed to do, um, which is, you know, it kills. So it'll, if a fisher walks into a 160, it's gonna, it's gonna go behind its neck. It's gonna, it's gonna kill that animal very quickly. Yeah. Now the 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 size of the 160s are so small that I think you'd have to work to get it over the top of your bird dog's head. Like, like really work at it. That's if one goes off on your dog, it's probably just going to be on the nose or on the foot or something like that. But so the the basis of a conibear bear trap is how do I describe this? So it's basically a square that is hinged in the middle, and it spins open on itself, and then it's locked shut, and a trigger hangs down. So when this is and it compresses some springs. So when an animal walks through it, they bump into the triggers that are hanging down, which throws the dog, which is what it, what it's called, throws the dog up, releasing the springs, and it comes all the way, it wraps all the way back around on itself and closes tightly and then locks tightly. It's designed as a walk. You would never use one for a foot. It's designed as a walkthrough type set. Yep. So animal you, puts his head have, through the square yep. opening and yeah. Yep. It's designed to break necks, honestly, with no other way to, to word it, to break necks and, and cut off that blood flow to the carotid ar- to the head through the carotid artery. It's, like I said, in Wisconsin, we don't really, I've never, 
I've personally, I've seen a lot of what I would call garbage sets, people that put in crappy sets in stupid locations, but I've never spent, wow, that's a, that trap is completely illegal. I can't believe this person's running it. So people might be putting in not smart places. They probably are putting in garbage sets that aren't going to connect with animals, but it's not necessarily like I'm seeing like, wow, that trap is, there's no, that's, there's no reason for that. So I, I think people hear these stories. I relate it to that podcast that you had just a little while ago about the wolves. Yeah. Like you hear about it and you're like, oh my God, there's traps everywhere. Oh my God, there's wolves everywhere. There is wolves and there is traps everywhere, but I've been bird hunting for over 30 years and I've never had a dog step in one. And that was, I've been, only been trapping for 11 or 12 and I haven't had, so for 20 years before that, I haven't even had, I never had a dog step in one. So I'm not saying it doesn't happen because it does. I just don't think it happens a lot. So rest assured there. So it's, it may or may not happen. I think the key is just understanding what to do if it does. And I think the best thing to know is like before you go out, not, you don't want to be thinking about this, like while your dog is stuck in a trap, you right. want to have somewhat of an idea to what to do before you go out. So it's not like a panic session. Yeah. Yeah. And again, and Rich could speak to that. His dog was not in a life threatening trap, fortunately, but that's really like the biggest thing, biggest takeaway that I'm hoping to deliver with this conversation is um, just if anybody's unfamiliar with the body gripper slash condom bear trap, um, we're going to, we're going to look up, I know Tate's working on a video, I think. Um, I have seen some demonstrations yeah. on how to remove that. Um, I, in fact, actually carry a trap release kit that was provided to uh, at a Rough Grouse Society event by the Minnesota Trappers Association. I feel it's important to shout that out, that they were going out of, our, out of their way to come and talk to people with bird dogs. And it's, a, again, if you are looking at that thing for the first time and have your dog trapped in it, I'm scared for what the result might be because it is a, yeah. it's a fairly simple mechanism when you understand it, but it's not intuitive. Right. I feel like if you've never seen one before and that's really the danger. And the other thing too, dumb question for you, Tate, is it, would a foothold trap be baited or not? There'll be bait around generally. Well, I don't know. I couldn't give you percentages, but generally there's bait around a foothold trap, but it would never be. Technically, yes, it would be baited, but it's not like okay. you put it on the trap. It's just right. within usually eight to 10 inches from the trap. So yes, right. that that is the premise of a foothold trap for the majority of the time is to draw a coyote or a fox or a coon or whatever close enough to be sniffing around and walking around mm -hmm. to step on that trap. So that is the premise. There's blind sets. There's all these other things, other different ways to catch them with a foothold. But in I'd, I would say what you have to worry about as a, being a bird hunter is you're probably going to be at an intersection somewhere on a logging road. And that's where your dog is probably going to get caught because that's where the coyotes are that they're running those right. logging roads. But yes, to answer your question in a long manner, there is bait there. Yes. Yeah. And that, the and again, that, that, uh, oh, go ahead, that trigger stepped in had bait. I was okay. And he dug a trapper at a little hole or Yeah, I'm assuming it was dirt hole set. Just had a hole there and had some bait down in it and had the trap bedded, you know, eight inches back, a couple inches off and off to the right or to the left. And that's, you know, pretty typical set. Standard, yeah. Pretty standard, yeah. That's a go-to, I'd say, for most trappers. Yeah, and that is 
also one of the things associated with the body gripper trap is they're gonna you know they're gonna have some bait in there to coax the target animal to put its head through that square opening and trip the trigger and et cetera, et cetera. So that, again, that's the biggest fear if a bird dog gets into it. And there's, there are like, I think it's probably important if we can't cover all the restrictions and stuff, but you've alluded to a lot of them, Tate. A lot of them are their size restrictions to try to minimize what animal could get caught in a lethal trap, that clear distinction. And then there's restrictions about having it halfway submerged if you're trapping beaver or something or in a tree or in a box behind yep. a, a certain opening, that kind of thing. So there are rules and regulations, again, to try to minimize these sort of conflicts. And without going into every single regulation, it's, right. it would take me such a long time to, to get into that and take care of all that stuff. But it is, I think the laws in every state are uh, set into place to try to minimize all these things. And I think as trappers, for the most part, we do a pretty good job. I can speak for myself and all of the people that I know. I'm, and there's always bad seeds in there, but we do our best. We don't. We do not want these conflicts. Yeah, it's not that you know the size trap is dictated by what has to be half submerged. So if you're putting a big, if you're putting a big counter bear trap like a three thirty or two eighty, two twenty, they have to be completely submerged. They cannot be set on dry land. It is illegal. You just can't do it. They have to be half submerged underneath the water. So unless your dog is swimming down a creek, you know, in the middle of the woods or the beaver pond, you're probably not going to have a conflict with the 330 or 280 or 220. So a lot of these traps, I think by default, are just things that we don't even need to talk about. Now, you know, a 160 still is a, it's still a trap that you could come into contact with. Right. It's, it is a conover trap. Um, But like I, you know, for the most part, with the exception of a uh, illegal trapper, you're just not going to run into a lethal set that is going to cause you it, it could i don't want to downplay right. this at all but like even when i was up north fisher trapping it was the time frame when everybody else was up there running bird dogs i was running bird dogs in the afternoon checking traps in the morning and i thought about it and i'm like these sets are all up off the ground and back off the beaten path i tried to make it so that i was not and as well as i do nick you're not going to go and run your dog down a pine plantation for girls for the most part. So I try to stick to stuff like that. But it is hard because topographically, if you're doing any, if you, I can go on Onyx and I can look at spots where I want to grow on. I can do the same thing with coyote trapping and you'd be surprised at how often they overlap. So but that's if you look good. That's some of the same kind of edges. Yeah. Yeah. And that was Rich actually, th- th- this whole podcast came to fruition because Rich had text me and said just get into the season here and i guess rich if i'm saying this wrong correct me but it, just uh, just get into the season here and I, i'm just wondering if there's anything that i can look out for and yeah it's the same thing with the wolves podcast it's there's lots of things you could look out for but do you just gotta let it happen if it's gonna happen and it's right. probably not gonna happen yeah yeah, and that goes, and I know we talked about this in, in our previous conversation, but again, it falls under this category of like, when you cut your bird dog loose, there are risks associated with that, no matter where you go, no matter what you're doing. Um, this kind of stuff can and does happen, whether it's an encounter with a wolf or a rattlesnake or a trap, but as much as we can be prepared and have some subset of knowledge to fall back on so that we can respond to these unfortunate incidences. And again, you're not going to eliminate 
all of the horror stories. Like, it's just not possible, but can we no. mitigate and try to avoid some things? And I know there's going to be a pod, bird hunter out there that's listening to this podcast, and he's going to say, of all the things that I got to worry about, why do I have to worry about a trap sure. on top of it? I already got to worry about wolves and stuff. If you look at the brass tacks of all this, you really have to consider the fact that a trapper is honestly one of the best friends, should be one of the best friends of upland hunters. Yes, your bird dog could get caught, but what they're out there doing is trying to make it so that there's more rough grouse, so that there's more pheasants, so that there's more quail, so there's more everything. We're trapping nest raiders. We're trapping right. animals that hunt these animals. So it's like, I'm, we should be working hand in hand to make sure that this doesn't happen. And I'll be the first to say being a trapper and a upland hunter, I truly believe that this is not the upland hunter's problem. It's definitely not their fault. But as a trapper, you have to be cognizant of where you're placing your traps. So I, sure. I do place a lot of this burden on the trapper as opposed to the upland hunter. So I'm not, I'm taking full responsibility when I set my traps as to what I, I do or do not catch. And, I, and that's kind of part of the... You take that oath when you become a trapper. Like, this is your yeah. problem. So you should be cognizant of where you're setting your traps because you don't want this to happen. I would feel horrible if I caught somebody's dog. I don't want that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's admirable. And I think a lot of people would certainly hope that other bird hunters and, and other trappers, like those are the kinds of people you want in the woods, right? Like taking that responsibility. Yep. Ownership. Yeah. Okay. So we, we talked about the different types. Now let's talk briefly about removal you touched on it a bit like a foothold trap again like ideally the dog is if we can get the dog calmed down and not twisting around and doing that kind of stuff dog's going to be okay releasing a foothold trap relatively simple why don't you start there and then let's just talk about do you carry anything in your vest like to remove a, a cable restraint or a body grip or anything like that so I'll touch on the, in my vest, I always have, a, I, I, I'll call it a Leatherman. I, technically, it's not a Conda Bear trap. It's a body gripper, but we all just call them Conda Bears. So yeah. a Leatherman, I have a, a, I don't, a tool. I have that on there and it has a wire cutting thing on it inside of the pliers, which will cut the aircraft cable. If I And I never have. My dogs have never been in a cable restraint. But if they were, I would just back them out. I would just, but if it would get into a snare, I would, you would just cut it. If, and at worst case scenario, if your dog gets into one and you don't think you can back it out and you're nervous, just cut it. Just go right along the right. back and just cut it. Just cut it with your, your cutters. And they do sell them on trapping websites. I believe you could probably just go to your local hardware store and get like a a, a wire cutter. Like Nipex makes like a really strong like cable cutter. that you. That's what I have like, right here, actually. Okay. A listener sent it to me, K-N-I-P-E-X. Now, I did want to bring that up. I'm glad you're mentioning it because there there have been mag magazine articles and stuff written about snares and that you can't necessarily just throw any old multi-tool in your vest and assume it will cut it. You no. want to actually have an idea that you have spring-assisted or some kind of right. aircraft cable cutter, that sort of thing. And you, if you have just a normal like wire cutter, you're going to have to work at it, but it can be done. It's not like I, I carry one of those along because I'm – way more concerned about uh, porcupines than I am about cable restraints. I'd like to have both. So I, I'll just carry that along and not have, I don't need the Nipex. So just, it's, it seems like overkill for me personally. I, but you should, and I can't tell anybody what to carry along 
right. in their vest. You know what I mean? Like you, whatever makes you feel comfortable to release body grip traps, zip ties are a very good thing to have. You could get some of those larger zip ties. I know people have carry along like extra shoelaces and like yeah. short chunks of rope and stuff like that. Realistically speaking, uh, definitely a 160. I can even set my three. I even set my 330s by hand. I don't have a trap setter for those. You can do it by hand. So I don't know that everybody could. Like a, a 12 year old boy might not be able to do it, but and there's ways to do it. That it's hard to explain. You basically just to open up a conibear trap with a shoelace, I guess I'll talk about how to just, you compress the springs so you can do it with your hands, just push them together. And then on the springs, there's a small like locking mechanism that holds it open. Flips it over. Um, yep. yep. You, you flip, flip over the top over. of it yeah. and it'll hold it open, which relieves the pressure on the jaws. But if you're going to use a shoelace, you would go through the opening on one jaw or, or one spring and tie it on to the other spring. And then you pull through, pull it, pull it through the other opening. So like I said, it's really, it, if you watch it on YouTube, which I'm in the midst of making a video on all this stuff just to kind of show how to release all of these traps, you'll understand if you see the trap. It's just, it, it honestly is a hard trap to describe. I, I, yeah, very. I'll just jump in. Very hard to describe, and I will absolutely in the show notes have some kind of video. It might not be Tate's yet. When that's available, I'll share that as well. But I'll grab some kind of video to point people to. That'll be in the show notes. And... Again, it's the springs are like Tate's mentioning. You can set them by hand, and you can, but they are. It's strong. They are strong springs, and if you again unassumingly come upon one of these traps, you might have literally no idea on how to operate. Yeah, we'll, you we'll probably just, we'll won't have any idea how to operate. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yep. Um, and so, as far as a foothold, as far as a foothold goes, you're probably gonna, for the most part, you're probably gonna run into what is called a, a coil spring trap. Those, the jaws are going to be around your dog's foot. On the side of those is going to be the lever. To release that, all you have to do is take your palms and put it on the top of those levers and push the levers down away from your dog's chest, like yeah. away from your dog. It's going to get to a certain point where they're, you're going to work those down the, the jaws and the pressure along your dog's leg is going to release and your dog will be able to put his foot out. At that point, you just let it go and let it sit there. The other one would be like a long spring or a double long spring. And that's basically the same method. They're just a little bit different springs. So the spring is technically also the lever. So you just take those and you compress those springs, pushing it down away from your dog's chest. And then eventually the jaws will open up enough or there'll be less pressure on the jaws and your dog's foot will, will be able to get pulled out. Then just release them and set on the ground and, and move on. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and it, it sounds easier than it, it. It's not that hard, but if you could watch a video, you're probably right. better off. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Learning about this before you get out there, like having an idea of how to release it before you get out there is much better than, you know, just winging it once you get out there. So Yeah. And, and again, especially in a scenario where maybe adrenaline's going, if your dog is caught or something, you're heightened and... We all know how that goes. Yeah. And stay, the main thing is stay calm. Like your right. dog is going to react off of you. So literally there's, I have some videos that I'm going to drop here in the next little bit, but I had a, I had, there may or may not be a release video of a bear and the said bear may or may not have been sleeping when oh I my gosh, <laughs> that tells you all you need to know about how much it hurts the animal. And then like if a black bear is sleeping and 
it's caught in a trap, does it really hurt that bad? So it's like, I'm sure it's not pleasant. I'm sure they're not having a good time. You wouldn't sign up for it, but like, just relax. Your dog's going to, he's going to react off of your reactions. So if you're running around screaming, your dog's going to be bouncing around and that, that's how your dog is going to get hurt. So just go in calm, collected, get your dog to stop moving, get that trap off your dog, check your dog over, make sure he's not hurt, which I find it very hard to believe that he will be. If he's hurt, it's not from the trap itself. It's from you roughhousing around trying to get the trap off of him. That's the main thing. Just make sure you stay calm. Yeah. And take yep. those traps, the foothold traps are designed with a swivel, right? So if they're twisting, it's not going to twist any joint. The traps come from the factory with swivels, and then every single trapper that I know adds swivels to them. And this is not... We don't do that so that your dogs are more comfortable. We do it so that, yes, that, but like the, so that the coyotes are more comfortable. But we also do it. We don't want them to have any leverage. We don't want them to be able to right. pull against the trap any more than they can. The traps are base plated. All the mo- all the coyote traps are set up for this. The jaws are laminated, so they're wider. They're not pinching off the. It, that's it's uh, it, it's basically displacing the pressure along a wider distance across its leg, as opposed to a, a, a short little tiny chunk of metal that's going to cut off the circulation and, and injure the leg cut providing cuts into the leg and stuff like that so it's these traps are designed for multiple reasons it's to hold coyotes for a very long time for 12 some of these states have you don't have to check traps for like days wow these yeah. traps are designed to be able to let hold a coyote or a wolf for days without them getting out and without them getting hurt so the 13 seconds that your dog is in there He's probably going to be okay. The swivels are, they come from the factory and then trappers are adding more. So with all these things, it's just such a, it's such a, I think I'm hoping I'm downplaying it a little bit because it's not, it's really not as big a concern as it it should be. Yeah. I think, I think with the foothold traps specifically too, which is maybe one of the more common traps that a bird dog might get into, I wouldn't be surprised. And, Honestly, probably not that long ago, like myself, I would have thought it is a big, jagged-toothed metal trap that I saw watching the fox and the hound when I was six years old. I, I think that's right. what a lot of people think of when they think of yep. a trap. That's what yeah. I was. That's what I believed I was. Right after I realized it wasn't a fork button, that's what I was like yep. thinking I was walking up to. Yep. Yeah, no, and knowledge is power. So indeed, it, 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 if. Me and Rich have been going back and forth about this video, and I think it would be great, a, a great tool. If I, I don't know, maybe there's somebody out there. I have no idea. Like, just if you just look at a coyote trap, and if somebody can explain to you, mm-hmm. and I, I don't, I truly think that people just don't know. So they it's figure the something. Unknown. Correct, exactly. So yeah. if they see this, if somebody could explain to them why this trap is designed like this, it would be. So much they they probably would rest so much easier knowing that the trap is actually designed to to not injure an animal. Which I mean, honestly, it, people people don't they don't know that. People have said that to me. Like, oh, I, I thought it was. Most people think that. I think it's just a big tooth jawed trap that is going to grab. It's, no, you can't use. It can't have teeth. You it, it has yeah. to be. It has to have no teeth on it. So it's people don't know, and because they don't know, they assume, and you know how it is. Yes. Yeah. Indeed, yeah. And again, that that's what we're here for, at least to try to take a step in that direction as much as we can with this audio format, that sort of thing. Like I said, I'll grab some videos and we'll uh, we'll share anything 
folks should definitely check out the Sustained Outdoors. That's Tate and uh, some friends of his, and they've got some cool stuff on there, including, as you mentioned, the bear release video, which maybe is not up yet, but you've, not quite. Released, you've released a wolf out of, out of a foothold trap. Yeah, there's some neat stuff on there. And there's so many cool conservation things that happen because of trapping. A couple of years ago, I trapped a wolf and was part of a, uh, a collaring, the collaring process. Um, so the, the DNR came in and tranquilized the wolf and they go over, they check his, they check everything about it. They, you know, they're as much as they can without obviously, you know, they, they can't do anything surgically, but they're, so they tranquilize it and they check everything and make sure the vitals are good. And they check to see how many ticks are on it. And they check to see that yeah. his teeth are good and doesn't have any of that stuff. And then they reverse the the tranquilizer after they put the collar on and it walked away. Like yeah. now they're going to be able to monitor the movements of that wolf because of trapping. So it's, it's like I said, knowledge is power. And I think people would honestly be, I think they'd think it was pretty cool. Especially I think we're all outdoorsmen that if you're chasing grouse, you're probably not, you know, chasing upland birds. You're probably not just, most people aren't just like a weekend hunter that way. You're going right. to be interested in it. You'd love to walk along and see what the heck goes into it. Yeah. I, 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 so I just wanted to mention to the, as Tate said, like, carry what you want to carry. I, I guess I, I have like an overkill thing, but that's mainly because of the, like, there's not a lot of weight that I'm carrying. So I have a multi-tool. I always have that. I haven't, I, my dogs haven't been into porcupines or whatever, but whatever. It, most people have a multi-tool. I've got the trap release kit from the Conibear trap release kit from the Minnesota Trappers Association, which is essentially two giant Ziplocs, heavy duty Ziplocs in a bag, then with some diagrams and stuff. So that's cool. I'll maybe throw a picture of that up on my Instagram. I've got the Nipix cable cutter that I have in my vest all the time. And then I also have this, it's an aluminum trap setter. It's like a, um, again, hard to describe. Maybe I'll just put a, put an Instagram. The one that just looks like a scissors. Yeah. It's like a scissors functioning thing. That is, that was, uh, I got it at the rough grouse society event. Again, there was some trap education going on and this is, a tool that a trapper might use, but it's also a very lightweight aluminum trap setter that can basically um, work most traps that you might inc- encounter, including body gripper traps. So that weighs like nothing. Once it gets to like November, I, I throw that in the bottom of my bird bag yeah. and just have it there. I've never had to use it. And that's the other thing I wanted to say. Like all three of us know a lot of bird hunters, and I think the incident rate is pretty low as far as like dogs getting caught in traps. There is. There's room out there, there's space out there, but as much as we can, or we're attempting to do today is just, um, knowledge is power as Tate said. Yeah. I just, like I said, so like that diagram that they gave you, be sure you, be sure you, if you have that diagram, read it. You know what I mean? I can't tell you where somebody's going to place a trap, but I can tell you how to get out of it. If you know how to do it before you go out there, you're going to be miles ahead than if you're trying to figure it out while your dog is in the trap. Yeah. I'm looking at this thing and I've read it before. Probably doesn't hurt to. This is the other thing I was going to say. I feel like I should go up to. We got a store here in Duluth, Fisherman's Corner. I feel like I should go up and just buy because I don't own any traps, but just buy like a 160 kind of bear trap. Just have it here and just like, get your hands on it and set it yeah, and trap release it. If you can get your hands on it, just to at least familiarize yourself with it. But step one in this kit is remain calm and speak soothingly to the animal. And then there is a there is a thing that you can do. If your dog is trapped, you can rotate the trap around the dog's head, ideally, yes. so that you can relieve the pressure from that other area. Correct. Then you could go to work on the springs. That's what they want you to do. But right, um, if you can get that trap rotated so that the pressure isn't on the esophagus, right? If you can get it so that 
it's pushing down on the side of the neck, on both sides of the neck, you're going to be yep. better off. But they Not. do they do close pretty tight where that might. I be was going to say like short. I don't know how easy that would be, but it is again, it's a piece of information um, trying to assist you in in the worst case scenario that your dog is in one of these traps. Yeah. And, and like, I just want to stress the fact that like, we don't want this. Nobody, no trapper wants right. to catch somebody's dog. So just, right. you know, not that we're, I'm sure I'm going to get messages from people that are, everybody's got a story. Everybody's right. got this. Everybody's got that. I only believe, believe half of what I hear anyways. It's, it's, we're all out there for the same reasons and we're, and we're a good, everybody, everybody hates a trapper until they need a trapper. Until, <laughs> until a raccoon right. is coming up and mowing on their bird feed, then we're your best friend. So. Yeah, and and I would say, as I often do, if if others out there listening have, if they had an encounter or an experience or something to add to this conversation, that kind of stuff is always welcomed. Um, the, the intent is not to overlook things or pretend no, like a, we all know everything and have experienced it all. If anybody yeah. else has something to add to the conversation, please do. So you can always email me. And I don't want my bird dogs caught in a trap just as much as you guys don't want to. So it's, right. not, I'm not. That's not me being a hypocrite. That's just I understand. I. I understand both sides of this, so I don't want to yep. make it seem like I'm taking one side or the other because I, I get it. Like I said before, I'm the anomaly. I'm both. I don't want there to be unnecessary blame on one side of this. I think we can work together. It was, it was nice to talk to Rich and and talk him through the whys, which is a whole other podcast, the whys of why everything was there, right? whatever, but I, sometimes things just happen and it, it's i don't know i don't know how to tell you guys how to plan for it i just you know if we can teach you how to be ready to get out of it yeah yep of course appreciate you taking the time to walk us through some of the things that you do know and have experience with tate i really appreciate it and rich yeah, no i don't problem, know you've got, got anything to <clears throat> chime in and ads after having your dog caught in a trap and moving forward and talking a lot to tate no i i, I think everything was covered really well i do appreciate Eight, uh, go giving me a little more information, a little more education. I think there's definitely room for everyone out there, and both the pastimes should be on the call. Yeah, but cool. that I think a lot of that depends on people being open minded, like you were. Because yeah. had you been one of those gentlemen that wasn't able to be talked off the cliff, you might still be up there. So sure, sure, yeah, yep, no doubt. That's why I was most appreciative to to have this opportunity to talk to you because it was you guys are you're both looking for the knowledge as well. Yeah. If that's what anybody can take away from this podcast is that do your research. I'm sorry that this is another thing that you have to have in your bag of tricks. You have to you already have to worry about wolves. You already have to worry about porcupines and dogs getting impaled and all that other stuff. I'm sorry about that, but right. that's just the way it is. Kind of off topic, yeah, it's but same a reality. Kind of the, I was going to say off topic in the same light. We had two coyote encounters, both of them, oh. point, both of them pointed by dot. You get, have really? you ever seen that? Yeah. Yeah. All oh, within, I feel like I've heard of that happening. All yeah, I may have heard feet. of it, but really? Yeah. So it was, it was the wild west, <laughs> not being in the west. <laughs> what, so what, without going into any of the details, what was the outcome for the coyotes? The outcomes were they loped away. Oh, really? Okay. Yep. They didn't, never know. None of the dogs were, I guess, trigger. I couldn't see trigger clearly, huh. but he was apparently chasing them for a while. But no scraps, just uh, 
excitement and rush. Yeah, I was curious if the dogs ended up getting into it or that. No, oh, wow, that's crazy. So no. there's a good case. There's a good case in point. You know, as of why. You know, that's why we trap where we trap. That's yeah. why we hunt where we hunt. There's birds there and there's coyotes there. So yeah. I wasn't happy to see them. We also had a <laughs> English. We had an English setter getting a scrap with a raccoon. Oh boy! Full on fight. This was a this was a dog that was uh, given up because it attacked a domestic animal, and though so there was some history there, and he was not going to let that root. So the raccoon Jeez. did not have the same outcome as the coyotes. The raccoon lost. <laughs> I'm not convinced that English setter doesn't have a little German in him. Yeah, he was intense, and you could see in his eyes when after that, a little bit of fur in his mouth. The rest of it, he was on a mission to hunt for the <laughs> not, not the feather. He was a holy terror after that. <laughs> yeah, German setter. That's, oh boy. I think that's a whole other topic too, but that's a concern for me running into, I've been blessed to, I've run into a lot of raccoons, but never behind my bird dogs. Yeah. All right, guys, that's, again, I hope we did a about as well of a job as we could. And again, the conversation is open to be continued for listeners out there. So feel free to chime in with your thoughts, but I do appreciate it. It was great to catch up with both of you guys and yeah, Rich, where can, where can folks follow you? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at whiskminord. Uh, you should follow him. Oh yeah, top-notch Northwoods photography and all over <laughs> photography. But I appreciate it. Yeah, Tate, how about you? You can follow me personally at Tate Obler on Instagram, or you can follow me and the boys at Sustained Outdoors on Instagram. I will say this: if you're if you can jump on Sustained here pretty quick. You can do catch up, but there's going to be some pretty, those wolf releases are going to be on there. There's a pair of those and then a bear. Uh, I'll, I'll drop the, I'll drop the hammer. It's going to be, there's a bear release on there too. Right on. And I know you did mention this last time too, but if folks had, have questions, you had said that you'd be willing to certainly answer people if folks look you up, Tate. I, yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. I will give you my phone number if you want to talk to me. hundred percent. Awesome. All right, guys. I will make sure there's links in the show notes to both these guys' social media profiles so you can get in touch with them. And thanks again to both of our guests today. I really appreciate it. Guys, hang on with me for just a second. And that does it for this episode of the Bird Shop Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Bird Shot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. And if you really love the show and want to contribute above and beyond what you already do by listening, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Bird Shot Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. 
Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.